Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Today, very special day. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and that word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which literally means coming. And so Advent is a season in which we focus on the coming of the Christ child. And it's also a season for us to be intentional about preparing our hearts. You don't just kind of stumble casually into such an important event. And so it is a season of expectancy, of anticipation, of preparation. And so the candles of the Advent wreath, they represent a kind of countdown to Christmas. And I, I think it's no coincidence that they're kind of like a baseball diamond too, which I think is pretty fun. Um, the first candle of our Advent wreath is the prophecy candle the prophecy candle. And it highlights the fact that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, reminding us that what God says, He's going to do. He is true to His Word. We read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. And welcome to a brand new sermon series for Advent entitled, The Scrooges of Christmas. Now, as you know, that name Scrooge comes from the Charles Dickens story, A Christmas Carol. And it's kind of become synonymous, though, with anybody who has a bah humbug attitude toward the Christmas season. Do you know anybody like that? Any bah humbug? We used to have an associate pastor who was kind of like that. But... um, (laughs) So maybe you know some Scrooges, but the truth of the matter is there are actually some Scrooges in the Bible. These are characters who hated the idea of Christmas. They hated the idea of the Son of God coming to earth in the flesh. And so we're going to look at a different one of these Scrooges in each of these um, sermon installments throughout the season of Advent. Today, we look at the Scrooge of all Scrooges, Satan himself. And we'll read about his scrooginess in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And would you please stand with me as I read the text this morning? Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, I'm actually going to read through verse 12, but we're going to focus on verses 1 through 5. So, it reads this way. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. 
and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. You may be seated, and would you pray with me? Father, we will be looking this morning into the invisible spiritual realm, and so we're going to need spiritual eyes to see that. So God, would you open them? And would you open our hearts to exactly what you would have to say to us today? Um, It's so easy for us to fixate on the physical and what we see alone. But God, enlighten us this morning. Remind us that there's a much bigger picture, a much bigger um, story at work here than what we just see. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you think of the Christmas story of the Nativity, what do you think of? You think of a traditional kind of nativity scene, maybe something like this, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, manger, animals. That's the visible Christmas story. Today in Revelation 12, we pull back the curtain where we see the invisible Christmas story, that which was taking place behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, image that looks much more like this. Quite a contrast, isn't it? Um, It features the characters of a woman, a dragon, and a child. A woman, a dragon, and a child. And so we're going to take a look at each one of these characters. We're going to unpack who they are. So let's take a look at the first of these. The first character that we encounter in verses 1 through 5 today is a woman. Verse 1 begins, and a great sign appeared in heaven. It's important for us to start there. It's important for us to talk about what is meant by that. A sign is a symbol that points to a reality. It's not the reality itself. It only points to it. Just as a street sign is not the reality, is it? You don't drive on the street sign. You drive on the street that the, point, the, the street sign points to. And so it is here. What we have in this story are signs that point to greater realities. The Apostle John, if you remember from our study in the book of Revelation, is being given a vision And that vision is full of signs that point to great realities. And I emphasize that word great because in the Greek, the Apostle John here in our text uses the word mega to describe the signs. These are mega signs, great signs in their magnitude, but also in their importance. And so that tells us this morning that they they demand our careful attention. They demand our careful attention. And so the first of these signs in verse 1 tells us, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman, a woman appears. A woman who is a sign, not a literal woman, a sign woman. So we have to ask ourselves, well, who is the woman? What does she symbolize? What is the reality to which she points? Well, this being Advent and the fact that the text describes the woman being pregnant, it would be very natural for us to conclude that the woman is who? The Virgin Mary. 
Especially because, and this is a spoiler alert, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the child is in fact Jesus. The child, the sign, points to Jesus. So of course this is Mary, right? Nah, not so fast. Not so fast. Well, this is the majority position of the Roman Catholic Church, that it is the Virgin Mary that is represented here. I don't believe this to be the identity of the woman, and you'll see why in just a minute. Another popular thought is that the woman is the church. The church. After all, the New Testament church is pictured as a woman, right? The bride of Christ. But what's the problem with that? This woman in Revelation 12 is pregnant and about to give birth to the Christ. The church doesn't do that, right? In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? It is the church that comes from Christ and not the other way around. So I don't think the church is the right answer either. Instead, the woman clearly is Israel. Israel. Now, you might say, Chad, you seem pretty confident about that. Why are you so confident that you would even say it is clearly Israel? Well, look at the text again. Uh, It says, "...at a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars." Does that imagery remind you of anything? Maybe Genesis 37, where a man named Joseph had some dreams. And he shared those dreams with his family. One of these dreams was in Genesis 37, 9, where it says, Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now notice, that is the very same imagery that we have here in Revelation 12. Is that a coincidence? Not at all. This is an intentional connection, and as you know, I love it when the pieces of the Bible fit together. This is a connection between the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, demonstrating, again, the continuity of Scripture and providing for us the answer. I love it when it gives us the answer. We don't have to guess. Providing for us the answer to the question of who is the woman here in Revelation 12. Well, in Joseph's dream, the son symbolized his father Jacob, and Jacob's name later became what? Israel. The moon was Joseph's mother, Rachel, and the stars were Joseph's brothers, the tribes of Israel. And so when the woman in Revelation 12 is described using this very same imagery, we conclude that the woman is a symbol for the nation of Israel. And it certainly fits because, yes, Jesus himself comes from Israel, from the Jews. Jesus himself is Jewish. Romans chapter 9 verse 5 says this of the Jewish people, to them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Therefore, in Revelation 12, the woman is a sign for Israel. The woman points to Israel. What else does it say about her? Back to verse 2. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, in my youthfulness once, I made the mistake in a sermon of comparing the process of writing a sermon to childbirth. (laughs) 
And I probably got more feedback on that sermon than any other sermon I've ever preached, as quite a few women said I did no idea what I was talking about. But as many of you know firsthand, pregnancy and childbirth are their own unique pain, are they not? And for nine whole months, nine months of dealing with these pains and discomfort, well, now imagine being pregnant for as many or at least 4,000 years. Can you imagine? As the nation of Israel was pregnant before Jesus was born. Now, 4,000 years of birth pains, waiting for the Messiah, longing for him to come and bring deliverance. You say, Chad, where are you getting these 4,000 years? Well, it is roughly at least, I will say, 4,000 years since the very first messianic prophecy found in Genesis 3 15. This is the, the scene where Adam and Eve have fallen, they have sinned, God comes and he's delivering curses, the consequences of their sin. And now God is addressing the serpent with his consequences and his role that he played in this. And it says in Genesis 3.15, one of the most important and impactful verses in Scripture, it's known as the Protevangelion, which means the very first gospel. Here in Genesis, the third chapter of the Bible, we have the gospel. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's going to be conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring referring to eventually the coming of the Christ. He, the Messiah, shall bruise your head. Some of your translations, I like it better, it says, crush your head but you shall bruise his heel. This is a foreshadowing of the fact that the serpent ultimately, through his activity, Jesus would once in the future have his feet, his heel nailed to a cross, but ultimately the head of the serpent would be crushed by Jesus. The prophecy here is given that a child would be born who would crush the head of Satan, who would utterly destroy him. I throw this picture up there every once in a while because it it inspires me. Genesis 3.15, the very first declaration of the gospel in the scriptures and the very first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. That is the beginning of the birth pains of the woman, Israel. It is quite fascinating to compare Genesis 3 and what was going on there with Revelation 12. I and mean, when you put them side by side, um, Genesis 3, the fall with Revelation 12, which is speaking of redemption, both passages have a woman and a serpent or dragon Both of them have enmity between the woman and the serpent or dragon. Both passages have labor pains. Both of them have childbirth. And both of them have conflict between the woman's offspring and the serpent or dragon. Once again, it's kind of bookends. Genesis, Revelation, fall, redemption. Isn't God's word beautiful? It's not just true, and it is true, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, all of the labor pains and conflict over at least these 4,000 years help us to understand the emotion contained in the lyrics of that familiar Christmas carol, which says, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and rescue captive Israel. This is a song of birth pains of a woman who has been pregnant for at least 4,000 years, eagerly anticipating the arrival of the child. And in this case, who is that child? It is the Messiah. So that is the very first character in our text today. It is the woman. Next is a dragon in verses 3 and 4. Look with me at verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon 
with seven heads and ten horns, and his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, this one's a little more easily identified than the first sign, mostly because, again, the text gives us the answer. If we were to jump down to verse 9 here in Revelation 12, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. One of the best methods of biblical interpretation is simply to let Scripture interpret Scripture. What does Scripture say? Just as we did with Genesis 37, here we have Revelation 9. We are blessed that verse 9 does, not, does that for us, clearly identifying the dragon as the devil. It's a terrifying image, just as we saw earlier. Something we don't see every day, right? Here we have the depiction of the dragon with its seven heads, seven crowns, and ten horns. In a, in a general sense, the crowns speak of his authority. The crowns speak of his authority. The horns speak of his power. He is an incredibly terrifying and powerful creature. However, while he's no match for us, in terms of we are no match for him, he is absolutely no match for God Almighty. His color red speaks of bloodshed and his character as a murderer. And as depicted in the picture, murder is his intent for the offspring of the woman, the Messiah born unto Israel. And we see him attempt to carry out this murderer throughout all of Scripture. It's an interesting line that can be traced from Genesis to Revelation, Satan's efforts to destroy the child. For example, we see these general ways the dragon attempted to devour the child. First of these is the child's line. The dragon attempts to devour the child's line, meaning his ancestry. God promised that the Messiah would come through the descendants of Israel. It says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So God promised that the Messiah would come from Israel. Ever since then, the Jews have had a giant bullseye on them. Satan reasons that if, if he could wipe out that promised line, then he could thwart God's plan for fulfilling the promised Messiah. And so this is why we have stories like Pharaoh murdering the baby boys in Exodus. This is not just something that's happening in the, in the physical realm, in the flesh. There's a spiritual element of this where Satan is behind it. And also stories like Haman attempting genocide of the Jews in the book of Esther. More at work here than just what is going on in the physical there is a spiritual element, and Satan is behind it all, trying to get rid of the royal line, the lineage of Jesus, thwarting God's plan. So the devil attempted to devour the child's line, but then, as we know, he also attempted to devour the child himself. Most obvious is the story of Herod murdering the baby boys after Jesus' birth. And actually, Herod is going to be Scrooge number two in our sermon series. But there are other incidents in the gospel where the dragon attempted to devour Jesus, including things like um, a, a, a storm at sea designed to destroy Jesus, or angry mobs threatening to throw Jesus off of a cliff, all for the purpose of derailing God's plan for the Messiah. 
And lastly, the dragon attempts to devour the child by murdering the child's descendants. If he can't get to the child's line, he can still sabotage God's plan by preventing Israel from fulfilling their promised role. And this is the explanation for the rampant anti-Semitism that we have seen throughout history and even today. It's not logical, is it? When you look at the anti-Semitism and you say, what is behind this? A red dragon bent on trying to sabotage God's plan. And so when he fails in trying to sabotage the child's line, he fails in trying to murder the child himself, what does he have left? He has the child's descendants. And so the dragon is still active in his efforts to devour the child's descendants. And so that is the identity of the dragon. We've had so far a woman, a dragon. Lastly, let's look at a child. Look with me at verse 5. So she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So again, as we've already determined, the child is none other than Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the son of David. And despite all the dragon's efforts, the child was born. Satan couldn't stop it. God did become flesh and fulfill every single prophecy, every single promise that God made was fulfilled. And yes, the child eventually dies on a cross, but rather than that being Satan's victory, it it turns out it was actually his defeat. For the child rose from the dead on the third day. And then what happened after the resurrection a short time later? What, What happened to Jesus? The ascension. The ascension. He ascended to heaven where he presently sits at the right hand of the Father, exercising all power and authority. And so this is what it means here in verse 5 when it says that the child was caught up to God and to his throne. That power and authority of the child are given expression in this verse by the image of a rod of iron, for his rule will be absolute just as was prophesied in Psalm 2. Now, we might be kind of fearful of a ruler who rules with a rod of iron. That seems kind of tyrannical, doesn't it? Except what do we know about this ruler with the rod of iron? He is love itself. He is love in himself. He is love itself. And so, that is the woman, the dragon, the child. Let's shift our focus now to application and Ask that question, how should we then live? Three things I have for you this morning. Number one, submit to the child. Submit to the child. As we saw earlier, this is no ordinary child. This is Jesus, the Christ, the one described in Colossians chapter 1. I love this passage. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's no ordinary child, is it? Truly, such a being is worthy of our worship and our allegiance, which is in fact the very purpose for which we were created. And we, as humanity, created for this purpose, will never experience the peace, the joy, or the fulfillment we were meant to have 
until we submit ourselves fully to this child. And neither will we experience spiritual victory, which leads to the second point of application, which is this. After we submit to the child, we are to fight the dragon. We are to fight the dragon. As we said earlier, the dragon continues to devour, his effort to devour all who are connected to the child. That certainly includes all of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. We are in the midst of a spiritual war, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we want it or not. The fact is we are at war. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war with the dragon and his demons. As was mentioned in the text today, at some point in eternity past, Satan rebelled and took with him one-third of all the angels in heaven. And this demonic army is now mobilized to fight against all of those who declare allegiance to King Jesus. We are no match for this army, but as Scripture reveals time and time again, our God is infinitely greater than the dragon. And he promises victory to all who take refuge in him. Just as the child overcame the dragon's attacks, so will all of us who submit to the child. Just as it says in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right there are the, the two, first two application points today. Submit to the child. Fight the dragon. And then finally, application point number three. Pray for the woman. Pray for the woman. Back when... God was forming the nation of Israel. He made this statement to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I believe that promise made to Abraham is as relevant today as it was then. Why? Because God has had, he will have, he has a special role for Israel not just in the past, but also in the future. In fact, Jerusalem will be the place from which Jesus will physically rule when he establishes his kingdom here on earth. Therefore, we're instructed in Psalm 122. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And so those are the three application points for today's text. Submit to the child, fight the dragon, pray for the woman. Let's do just that right now, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father, I, I, I know for myself it's so easy to fall into the trap of simply fighting against flesh and blood. It's so easy to simply react to what my physical eyes see and to forget the truth of Ephesians chapter 6, that we are in a spiritual battle. And we're not to wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are to do spiritual battle. So God, thank you for a text like this that pulls back the curtain and reminds us of what is going on behind the scenes. Not just in the birth of Jesus, but even presently in our own lives. Right now, there is a very real dragon 
and all of his followers who come against us in the spiritual realm. And that is terrifying when left to ourselves, but we're able to do battle with the dragon with supreme confidence, knowing that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. But God, we must submit to you. I love that passage in James. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It starts with submission. And God, that's where so many of us are vulnerable this morning because we are not fully submitted. So God, I pray that all over this sanctuary, I pray that all over the commons, I pray that all over those who are watching, that your Holy Spirit would bring necessary conviction that would bring each one of us to that place of full submission. That in doing so, as we come under your authority, we are able to exercise supreme authority in the spiritual realm. Not in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus and his supreme authority. God, I pray for those who the devil has a foothold, perhaps even a stronghold in their lives, and they find themselves in some form of bondage. Again, God, may you bring us back to basics, and may we begin with confession and repentance of sin and submission to the child. God, we pray for Israel today. We pray for all of the pain, the hardship, the struggle in the Middle East. I pray for those in Gaza who are suffering so greatly. God, I pray that you would bring an end to this conflict. God, I pray for the nation of Israel that you would give them um, direction on how to, how to handle such a complex, messy situation. And God, we, as the, we, we talked about birth pains for the, the first coming of Jesus. God, we find ourselves in the midst of birth pains right now, anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And so we cry, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring it all to an end. Make everything right. Make everything as it is intended to be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.